Brother Dallas, you come preach for us. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn them to the book of James, James in chapter number 4. James in chapter number 4, it is good to be back with you uh, this morning and always like uh, always enjoy the opportunity to be able to stop by here at Maranatha Baptist Church and appreciate you allowing me to be able to come and um, love your preacher, amen. I, I, uh, I enjoy to hear him preach. I go online quite a bit and listen to different messages that he's preached and uh, and uh, I've stolen a couple of them, amen, and I, I, this is the first time I've ever publicly given him credit for those messages, but I appreciate, and, and you get fed very well from the, from the pulpit here at Maranatha Baptist Church, and boy, what a preacher you have. I, I kind of, when I stand behind this pulpit of Brother Smart, I kind of feel like a, a, a mule at the Kentucky Derby. I, I, uh, I told an old preacher that one time, I said, man, I just felt like a mule at the Kentucky Derby. He looked at me and said, you look like one too, amen. But anyway, I appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to be here. If you're visiting today, uh, you understand I, I'm just a guest preacher. I'm just an appetizer. I'm a very large appetizer, but you've got to come here to the main meal on Wednesday, and I promise you, you'll get fed uh, from the Word of God. James, in chapter number four, I have, James has uh, really become one of my favorite uh, New Testament books on the Word of God just uh, uh, about a year ago, about this time. And I know that I, as I was looking at notes at different messages I preached uh, here at Maranatha last night and this morning, I know that I've uh, preached from the book of James uh, e even last year and uh, really uh, has five chapters in the book. And really, when I set out to re-study the book of James, I was just really going to just preach uh, five different messages and just kind of give an overview of each chapter. Uh, but here we are a year later and still uh, still there's uh, fresh bread from the oven of heaven in the book of James. Amen. And as Brother uh, Smart was talking about how God's mercy is inexhaustible and, and we uh, our praise for Him is inexhaustible, I'm glad that that Bible right there is inexhaustible. Amen. And I'm glad that I hold in my hand a book called the Bible that has more wisdom in all the books combined in every library across our land, and that's called the Word of God. Amen. I'm glad it's the Bible that changes lives. And I want to put, preach from the book of James here again in James chapter number 4, and I'm going to give an overview. Uh, I'll read the verses here in just a moment, give an overview of James chapter 4 and give you a, a new thought. I believe the Lord has laid on our heart to preach at this hour uh, this morning. So if you find your place in the book of James, let's all stand as we take reverence to the reading of the Word of God. James in chapter number 4, and I'll begin reading in verse number 13 this morning. James chapter 4 and verse number 13. The Bible says, Go to now... Ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor, that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good 
and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And Brother Snow, would you open us up in prayer today, please, sir? Amen. You may be seated here this morning. We find that James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, is writing this letter not to lost sinners, but he's writing it to Christians that are a part of the church here, this part of this early church here. And James begins chapter number 4 by reminding and also giving Christians a warning about the dangers or the defilement of our flesh. And may we all be reminded today, no matter how long you and I have been saved by the grace of God, no matter how long that we've sat on a church pew, no matter how many ministries we've ever been involved in, your flesh and my flesh will fail us, but the Spirit of God that lives in us will never lead us wrong. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. And James reminds us not only and gives us a warning about our flesh, (coughs) but he also gives us some instruction That the only way to overcome the defilement of our flesh is to be devoted to the Father. And James begins chapter 4 talking about that every single day there is a war with our flesh and the Spirit of God. They're contrary the one to the other. The Bible says the flesh is pulling us in this direction and the Spirit of God is pulling us in another direction. And may we all be reminded today there is no Geneva Convention when it comes to having a war with our flesh. The wars, the flesh's ultimate goal is to bring destruction in our lives and the Spirit of God's ultimate goal is to make us more in the image and the likeness of an almighty God, His darling Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're contrary the one to the other. And James that tells us about that war with God and he ends the chapter talking about the will of God and the two themes are related the war with God and a will of God and when a believer is out of the will of God that believer is then in a war with the flesh and against God and I can tell you my dear friend from experience I'll tell you who will win that war it will not be you it will not be me but God will always win that battle and in the latter part of James chapter number four, not only does he talk first of all about the defilement of our flesh and then second of all he talks about the only way to overcome the defilement of our flesh is to be devoted to the Father and then James takes another turn in the latter part of James chapter number four and he talks about the dangers of of ignoring God's will. The dangers of ignoring God's will. And child of God can we be reminded as you and I would read the word of God that God has a will for every one of our lives. Young and old here today, God has a will for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. God has a will for our lives. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, Brother Smart just uh, uh, referenced to the verses here just a second ago. Uh, In verse number 1 and 2, the Bible says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
Verse number 2 says this, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible, God has a will for every one of our lives. Can I say the good will that God has for every one of our lives is that every man, woman, boy, and girl be saved by the grace of God. Amen. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has a good will for every one of our lives and that goodwill is that you and I are saved by the grace of God. God also has, the Bible talks about, an acceptable will for every man's life. Can I say God's acceptable will for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl is after we're saved by the grace of God is that we serve God with our lives. Amen. You understand my friend, God never saved a man, woman, boy, or girl uh, to sit and shower and soak on a church pew but God saved us for a purpose and that purpose is to serve him the rest of the days of our life. I understand that God doesn't call every man to preach. I understand that God doesn't call every lady to be the church pianist. But can I tell you my friend, whether you become a nurse, whether you become a doctor, whether you become a lawyer, we are to live a life that brings honor and glory to God through service. Amen. Not only does God have a good will for our lives, not only does God have an acceptable will, but God's perfect will for every one of our lives is us to be surrendered to his will for our lives. And James begins to to, to teach these here in James chapter number 4 about the danger of ignoring God's will. We find here in the latter part of James chapter number 4 that James perhaps was addressing the wealthy wealthy here in James chapter 4 and he reminds them that you've discussed your plans, you've discussed your program, you've discussed your agenda for your life, but you've never sought out God's will for your life. We live in a world today where Hollywood and professional athletes they, they, somehow the devil has painted a picture that professional athletes and Hollywood movie stars, boy, they know what life is all about. Uh, they've got the great big houses. They've got the, the fancy jewelry. They've got the, the bright and shiny cars. Well, I pray tell me this morning why so many Hollywood movie stars, uh, they end up in rehab. And so many professional athletes, uh, they, uh, uh, so many times uh, we hear them committing suicide. I'll tell you why. Because the fame and the fortune and the the popularity of this world can never fill that empty void. It's only one that can fill that empty void and it's the God of heaven that can fill that empty void. And so in James chapter number 4, James begins to uh, put life in perspective if you would. And he begins to talk about life a little bit more here. And he begins to slow down just a little bit and begins to think about life. We live in such a fast-paced society that God's people don't even know what it is to just muse a little while and just put things in perspective. But James puts life in perspective. Look at it with me for just a moment. Look at verse number 13. He talks about life. First of all, he talks about the complexity of life. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow... We will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. James begins to talk about the complexity of life. Have you ever taken time to just think about all that is involved in life? Obviously, life we have today, we're here today. 
We don't know if we'll have tomorrow, but perhaps God will give us tomorrow. But in life, there's buying, there's selling, there's getting gain, there's losing, there's going here, there's going there. Life is made up of people. Life is made up of places. Life is made up of activities. In life, we have goals. There's days and there's years, and each of us must make many crucial decisions day after day. But understand this, child of God, apart from the will of God, life is a mystery. But when you and I know Christ is our Savior and we seek to do God's will, then all of a sudden, life begins to make more sense. Not only does James talk about the complexity of life, but number two, James begins to talk about the uncertainty of life. Look at verse number 14. He reminds us, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. He reminds us that all you have is today. You don't know if you'll have tomorrow. I, I, I've met a, a, many a young preachers that say, or, or many a new Christians that say, uh, boy, uh, whenever I get everything in order, and when I get this right, and when I get that right, and I get my finances in order, and I get all this in order, I, I'm going to do this for God, and I'm going to do that for God. Can I tell you, my friend, why put off till tomorrow what we can do today? Because none of us know if we'll have tomorrow. Let's just go ahead and determine that we're going to live for God today and serve God today. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Someone has said this, there are two eternities, a past and a future. And between those two eternities lie a speck called today. You understand, today is the most important time in our life. Today is important because today is the only day that we're certain that, we're, that we have. I'm alive today, therefore if I'm going to live for God, I must live for God today. I don't have the promise of another day to serve God. If I'm going to serve God, I must serve God today. Can I say this morning, my friend, in a crowd this size, I, I'm not going to assume that anyone, I'm not going to assume that everybody is saved by the grace of God, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. If a person is not saved today, then today becomes an urgent opportunity to be saved by the grace of God, my friend. From the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that man is in an awful condition. When Adam sinned in the garden and broke God's commandment, God gave Adam that commandment. He said, Adam, he said, you can partake of everything in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. We know the story how Adam partook of that fruit. And from that moment, there was total separation from a holy God now to sinful man. And now Adam's destiny was a place called hell. But you understand when Adam committed that sin, it not only affected Adam, but it affected every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. And from that day to this day, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner because of Adam's sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We're all sinners 
because of Adam's sin and because of that sin, my friend, your penalty and my penalty was a place called hell and the only way to escape that place called hell is not through the baptismal pool. It's not through church membership. It's not the good outweighing the bad. The only way to escape the fires of hell is by putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe you're here this morning and God has spoken to your heart time and time again and you say, well, I'll put it off till tomorrow or I'll put it off until I have some gray hairs on my head. Those not thyself tomorrow. You don't know what a day may bring forth, my friend. The Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. My friend, don't put it off till tomorrow. Get it settled today. The Bible teaches us a lot about the importance of today. In Acts chapter 17, verse number 11, we are taught the principles to read the Bible today. In Psalm 86 and verse number 3, we are taught to pray today. The psalmist said, I cry unto thee daily. In Acts chapter 5, verse number 42, we are taught to be a witness today. In Hebrews chapter 3, we are taught to be one who exhorts one another today. In Luke chapter 9, we are taught to take up our cross and follow Christ today. My friend, do it today not tomorrow do it today not only are we taught the, not only does James tell us about the complexity of life not only does he talk about the uncertainty of life but number three look at verse number 14 again he said for what is your life it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away I know that this is not even a drop in the bucket compared to how long some of you have been married and how long some of you have been saved, but it still, it still uh, doesn't even register fully in my mind today that next month will be 25 years that I've been saved by the grace of God. It doesn't even fully register in my mind that I can even make the statement that Nikita and I have been married for these 16 years and traveling the country in evangelism. It seems like it's only been a couple of years, but it's just been a blink of an eye. But can I say it's we're 16 years down the road. I, I, I was talking to uh, Brother Smart and Miss Page earlier uh, before church this morning. It's really kind of hard to believe uh, to me that, uh, that, 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 and I'm sure to Brother Miss Smart as well, that, that Paige is going into her junior year. Can I say it just seems like it was yesterday that she was going off to Bible college for the first time as a freshman in Bible college. And you understand James not only talks about the complexity of life, Life and the uncertainty of life but he also talks about the brevity of life and that theme is repeated time and time again in the word of God. You understand to us life seems so long and we measure it in years but in comparison to eternity life is but a vapor. You understand my friend this life here on earth is just but a vapor. If you're saved by the grace of God we're going to our eternal home one day and we're going to live there forever and forever and it just makes sense. We are to live for God today while we're here on earth for, for the one that we're going to live with forever for all of eternity. You understand, James reminds us of what Job said in his book. Job said this, Job said, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Job said, the cloud is consumed and vanisheth away. Job said, our days upon earth are as a shadow. The, psalm, the psalmist teaches us to number our days. We live a day at a time and those days rush by more quickly the older that we get. And since life is so brief, 
There's not a one of us that can afford to waste one day not living it for God. It was February the 27th, just a few months ago, probably one of the hardest days ever in my life, mine and my wife's life. I was preaching at the First Baptist Church in Brighton, Illinois, and I always, uh, for, for, for the last half a dozen years at least, I, I've always had a habit of putting my phone on do not disturb when I go to church because those that are living, those that are that live in Eastern time zone, they don't realize that I'm preaching in Central time zone. They always call me right about point number two, amen. And so I always turn my phone off when I go to church. And that night was just like any other night, especially the last half a dozen years. I turned my phone on do not disturb, and little did I know while I was preaching, I'd got about a half a dozen missed phone calls from my brother-in-law Brad that lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he also texted me a message. He said, Chris, he said, as soon as you get this message, he said, I need you to call me immediately. And I thought that he was calling me to tell me something was wrong with my mom or dad because they've had health problems in recent days. But it wasn't about my mom and dad. It was about his daughter, Brianna. Brianna was 24 years old. And Brianna, let me tell you, and I think I might have had the church to uh, put her on your prayer list and you prayed for Brianna, I believe. Brianna... Uh, she, she, I know that I'm biased because she's my niece, but boy, she was a good and godly young lady, one of the, good, one of the uh, best and godliest young ladies I've ever been around in my entire life. She got saved when she was a young girl, seven or eight years old, and at about 12 or 13 years old at a youth conference, she surrendered her life to God to live a life that brings honor and glory to God. She didn't know what she would do, and so she, she just went down to a, a, an altar at a youth conference and surrendered her life to live for God. A couple years later at another youth conference, she knew that God had placed it on her heart to be a Christian school teacher. And God allowed her to be a Christian school teacher for one semester in Ward, Arkansas. I believe y'all support the Bernards over in India. His dad uh, uh, pastors the New Horizon Baptist Church there in Ward, Arkansas, has a Christian school there. And Brianna was able to teach in that Christian school for one semester until her sickness took her, took, uh, took her out of being able to teach in the school. At 16 years old, she, she developed some rare blood disease, and the doctors really never did, were able to identify exactly all that was going on with her. But, for instance, for, for a couple of years, she would break out in blood clots all through her body, but it would also break out bruises all over her body. And, and after a couple, two or three years, the, the blood clots kind of dissipated, and she didn't have the problems with blood clots anymore, but then all of a sudden she started having multiple seizures every single day. And there was a point after about a year of having those seizures, she had to have a service animal everywhere she would go. And she had a Labrador dog, and she would go to Walmart, and she would go to different places. They took her driver's license away, so she had to be driven everywhere she, she went. And she had that dog. She, Brianna was like a daughter to Nikita and I. And Brianna and I were sitting on the couch one day, and I might have told you this. We were sitting on the couch one day and just talking, and she said, Uncle Chris, she said, if you had to have a service animal, what kind of service animal would you have? And she said, I would have a, I said, I would have a chicken. 
a four piece and a biscuit. Amen. That's what kind of that's what kind of service animal I would have. And and uh, and so she had she had several seizures. And and the and, and I uh, we, we, we've never had children, but we're we're not bitter about that at all. We we just made our mind up a long time ago that we were going to love our nephews and nieces and preachers' kids uh, just like they were our very own. And we loved Brianna just like she was our very own daughter. There was a time where Nikita and I lived in a 40-foot motor home, and, uh, uh, and, and we traveled all across the country for three and a half years in that motor home, and there were two summers in a row for 10 weeks each summer. Uh, Brianna uh, would pack her bags, and she would go and travel with Nikita and I in that motor home all across the country uh, as I'd preach the Word of God. And I never could get Nikita. I, I loved living in the motor home. Nikita liked living in it because we could close the curtains back, and it was kind of like a little apartment inside there. I liked it because I was able to sleep in the same bed every night, but I also liked it because the refrigerator was just a few feet away, amen, and I never could get Nikita as we were going down the highway, I never could get her to go back to the kitchen and make me a, uh, make me a sandwich, but every summer, I looked, at, I looked forward for Brianna going with us, because every summer, all I had to say is, Brianna, I sure am hungry, and Brianna would go back there and make me a, make me a sandwich at that motorhome, and we, boy, we loved her, and she loved us, uh, unconditionally, we loved her. In the, and then all of a sudden, she began not to have as many seizures. She would maybe have a seizure a week, or maybe she would be able to go 10 or 15 days without having a seizure. And those kind of went away. But then all of a sudden, she wasn't able to get enough nutrients in her body and to her heart, and they had to give her a feeding tube. And on February the 27th of this past year, she was just in the hospital a couple days before getting a new feeding tube. And... On February the 27th, she was at home, and she told my sister, Stephanie, she said, I'm going to go upstairs, and I'm going to go to the bedroom, and I'm going to rest a little bit. And she said, will you come get me in an hour? And Stephanie said, yeah, I'll be up there in an hour, and I'll come get you. And an hour later, Stephanie went up there, and Brianna had passed off into eternity. It was absolutely the hardest funeral that I'd ever preached in my life. And I... A few weeks later, my brother-in-law sent me a picture of the the headstone that they uh, that they got Brianna at her at her gravesite, and it said February the sixth, nineteen ninety nine, to February the twenty seventh, two thousand twenty three. And I did the math, and that's just twenty four short years. As I look across this building this morning, there's a few here this morning that. You're knocking on the door. You're knocking on the door of 24 years old. It's just a couple years away. Obviously, across this room, there's some. There's many of us that have surpassed that 24-year-old stage. And for some, that would just be just a few years. Some of us have passed that. But my friend, you and I are not promised the next 24 minutes. We're not promised the next 24 years. We don't know if we'll have tomorrow to live for God. We don't know if we'll have next year to live for God. We don't know if we'll have the next five minutes. And can I say, maybe maybe we've heard that statement before, hurry up, the clock is ticking. And we understand that's a statement that's used in sports to describe uh, uh, that time is running out for one team to be the decisive winner. But James says here to the Christian, he said, life is not about a game. He said, life is about uh, living a life that brings honor and glory to God. And I believe 
believe James is giving us a reminder here in James chapter 5. Hurry up, the clock is ticking. It's in terms of the remainder of time that we have left here on earth. Uh, and for the next few minutes, I want to preach on that subject. Hurry up, the clock is ticking. And child of God, can I say, my friend, if we're going to live for God, we must live for God today. We don't have the promise of tomorrow. If I'm going to serve God, if I'm going to bring honor and glory to God, if I'm going to praise God, if I'm going to spend time reading that Bible, if I'm going to spend time in prayer, if I'm going to spend time finding out what it is to bring honor and glory to God, I can't do it tomorrow. I don't know if I'll have tomorrow, but I do know this. I have today, and I'm going to live for God today. Amen. For the next few minutes, let me preach on that subject. The clock is ticking. Number one, number one, the clock is ticking for us to be committed to God with our lives. Child of God, God calls on every one of us to take up our cross and follow him. It's a no-holds-barred, all-in attitude that we must have. Commitment involves a surrendered will. It's not my will, but thine be done. And if you and I are ever going to be committed to God with our life, now is the time. I, I, I don't say this in a boastful way. I, I don't say this in a conceited way whatsoever. But when I surrendered to preach, I'm talking about the very first year I surrendered to preach. Uh, it wasn't anything for me to preach seven or eight times a week uh, as a freshman in Bible college. Uh, I, oh, no, I wasn't preaching behind the church pulpit. But I tell you what I was doing. I, I'd go down to the homeless missions. Uh, and I'd go down to the jail cells and I'd go to the nursing homes and the juvenile detention centers and the bus routes and I'd preach on teen, in teen church and my friend I believe with all my heart 16 years later now for these 16 years I preach across America and overseas 50 to 52 weeks a year in revivals and I believe God allowed me to be able to do that today because I knew what it was to serve God then can I say I'm not against vacation I'm not against camping I'm not against fishing I'm not against traveling the world but my friend that cannot be what our commitment is our commitment ought to be in the one that was fully committed to us and that's Jesus Christ amen my friend now is the time to be committed with our life can I say now today is the day to run a van route Today is the day to lead that uh, next door neighbor to the Lord. Today is the day to pass the gospel track out uh, to the cashier at Walmart. Today is the day to be you holy for I am holy. Today is a day to be sanctified, set apart for the master's use. Today is a day to bring honor and glory to God with our life. Not tomorrow because we don't know if we'll have tomorrow. Number one, today is the day to be committed with our lives to God. Number two, number two, the clock is ticking for us to be committed with our lives to God. Number two, the clock is ticking for us to be compliant to the Lord. Obedient to the Lord. Can I say, teenager, learn what it is to be obedient to the Lord. The exercise of faith will always be executed with obedience. We read of the faith of Abraham. The Bible says that by faith, Abraham, then it goes on to say, obeyed. Being compliant means that we will be obedient uh, to the Lord. Uh, I, I, I want to be obedient to the great commandment. That great commandment is this, uh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And I guarantee you, especially those of us that are saved by the grace of God, if I were to ask us how many of us love God, we would all raise our hand and say, I love God. But child God, I guarantee 
Hallelujah. Every single one of us, including the one that is trying to attempt to preach this message this morning, every single one of us can take our love to, for God to another level. Amen. I want to be obedient to love the Lord thy God with all my heart, all my soul, and with all my might. I want to be obedient to keep not only the great commandment, but I want to be obedient to keep the great commission, winning folks to Christ. How many of us are saved by the grace of God? How many of us are saved? My friend, I believe this with all my heart, and I'll go to my grave believing this. I believe if you and I were afforded to hear the gospel message and we're saved by the grace of God, I believe there are people that we will pass along this journey called life that only you and only me can lead to the Lord. They'll, you understand there are people, that there are people, it may be in your family, maybe there's a co-worker, maybe there's a friend, they'll never listen to me give them the gospel, but they'll listen to you give them the gospel, amen. I believe that with all my heart. We are to be obedient to God for the Great Commission. I think about Brianna once again. Brianna, I, I, I could go on and on and tell you how good and golly of a young lady she was. She was sold out. She didn't know anything but being sold out for God. In the last couple of years of her life, she was bound to a wheelchair. But she still wanted to go to Saturday morning soul winning every Saturday morning. As sick as she was, she wanted to go soul winning. Brad, my brother-in-law, would push Brianna in that wheelchair every Saturday morning. Brianna would have her little uh, New Testament Bible and she would have it stacked full of tracts inside. And she would be sitting in her lap and she would roll herself into the living room and Brad would take her little wheelchair out to the car and he would pick her up and he would put her in the car and he would fold up her wheelchair and put it in the back of the car and they would go out and they would go to an area and they would saturate an area and they would go down the street and he would roll her up to all the houses and she would knock on the door and she would, she would, she would just want to tell people what the Lord had done in her life. And about three months before she went home to be with the Lord, back in November or December of last year, she did the same thing she did every Saturday morning. She got up and she had her New Testament. She had her gospel tracts inside her Bible. And Brad took her wheelchair out, picked her up, put her in the, in, 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 the, in the car, folded the wheelchair up, put it in the back of the car, and they, they got to the church, and they had an area they went and knocked, and, and all, all the people were saturating the neighborhood. And as they were going down the street in that neighborhood, Brad was pushing her in the wheelchair. She looked across the, uh, across the street from the houses, and there was a park out there, and there was, a, there was probably 25 or 30 teenagers out there uh, playing basketball. Boys were out there on the basketball court playing basketball, and the girls were just sitting on the side watching. And Brianna tugged on Brad's, uh, Brad's shirt there. She said, take me over there and talk to those kids. And Brad said, you want to go over there? She, he said, they're not going to take time to listen to you, Brianna. They're playing basketball. And Brianna said, I, I want to go talk to them. And sure enough, Brad rolled, him over, rolled Brianna over there to all those kids, those 25 or 30 kids that were playing basketball. And he just rolled her up right up in the middle of them. And they, they were very polite and very kind from what they tell me the story. They were very polite and very kind. And Brianna took all those gospel tracts out of her New Testament and she handed every one of those kids a gospel track, and she just began to go through that gospel track and said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. She began to take them on a journey, that Romans road of salvation. 
And the story goes where 17 of those young people bowed their head and bowed their heart and they called on God to save their soul. That was on a Saturday. And the very next day, 15 of those 17 came to church at the Hillside Baptist Church in Hickson, Tennessee and sat there uh, in the church service and 15 of them got baptized uh, that, son that next day uh, in the church service. And can I tell you, my friend, if a little girl that was bound to a wheelchair had the boldness and ha ha had the desire to go out and tell a lost and dying world about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us that have able bodies and we've been saved by the grace of God, we are to have the same boldness and we are to have the same desire to tell somebody else about Jesus. You say, well, Brother Dallas, I, I, I don't know the Bible as well as Brother Smart does. I, I don't know that I don't have the scripture memorized as such and such does. Can I tell you, my friend, as I read about the Apostle Paul that wrote most of the New Testament, and my friend, he, he planted all the churches, uh, and he was one of the greatest missionaries this world's ever known. Nine times out of ten, he was just telling folks what happened to him on the Damascus Road. Uh, and if you're saved by the grace of God, and if I'm saved by the grace of God, we know what Jesus has done for us, so just tell somebody else what he's done for us in our life as well. I want to be obedient. I understand this to my friend. The clock is ticking for me to be compliant to the Lord when it comes to the Great Commission. I want to be, I want to be compliant to the Lord to pray without ceasing. I want to be compliant to the Lord to be filled with the Spirit of God. And we understand this morning, if you're saved by the grace of God, we got every bit of the Holy Spirit of God that we'll ever get. But child of God, we're leaky vessels, my friend. And it, it is a Bible command for you and I to continuously be filled with the Spirit of God. I like what the black preacher said. He said, I'm not sure what the power of God is, but I know what it's not. Amen. The clock is ticking for us to be committed with our life. The clock is ticking for us to be compliant to the Lord. Number three, very quickly, the clock is ticking for us to be compassionate in our love. To be compassionate in our love. I believe with all my heart that compassion is the difference in a sinner being saved or not being saved. I believe with all my heart that compassion makes the difference in helping restore a backslidden Christian. I believe compassion makes the difference in new people staying in the church or looking elsewhere. Compassion is the difference between bitterness and forgiveness. When I first got saved and went into that college and career Sunday school class, I, I, I was so different and my life had been so different than everyone else sitting in that class. The very first Sunday that, 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 or that Wednesday night that I got saved by the grace of God on August 16, 1998, I, I, I walked inside the church with a glow-in-the-dark uh, marble light t-shirt on. Amen. I was so different than anybody else in that church, but I'm glad, my friend, they didn't look down their pharisaical noses uh, and they, they folded their arms and say, what's he doing in here? I'm glad they love me enough to give me the gospel and yes they love me enough not to let me stay where I was but to give me to a place where my life can bring honor and glory to God and how dare any of us that have been saved for such and such many of years uh, and my friend ever look down our pharisaical noses and, and think that we're better than anyone else can we be reminded every single one of us we're headed to that place called hell before Jesus saved us by the grace of God the clock is ticking for us to be compassionate in our love not only is the clock ticking, not only is the clock ticking for us to be committed with our lives, the clock is ticking for us to be compliant to the Lord. The clock is ticking for us to be compassionate in our love. And lastly, I'll finish. The clock is ticking for us to be compelling in our labor.
I remember 25 years ago, I would hear different preachers. Many have preached on the subject. We must work because the night cometh when no man can work. I, 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 was, not too, I, I, I was not so sinful that I would let the message go in one ear and out the other. But I did sit there and say, well, I, it's going to be a long time before the night comes in my life where I can't work. But 25 years down the road, I can see the night a little bit clearer now. The Bible says we must occupy until the Lord comes, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I, I want to show this world that I love what I'm doing and I'm doing what I love. I, I, I don't want to be a lazy Christian. I want to get involved in the work of God. The Bible says that if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know, I, I, I've never heard a faithful worker around the church ever say, you know, I'm just not getting fed at that church. You know why? Because those that know what it is to work and to labor and to serve the God that saved them by the grace of God, they come to the house of God hungry and thirsty to hear from the word of God, and therefore God answers their request. The clock is ticking. Now is the time to be committed. Now is the time to be compliant. Now is the time to be compassionate. Now is the time to be compelling in our labor. Turn your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians in chapter number 1. Philippians in chapter number 1. I was supposed to preach through Tuesday night at First Baptist Church. We had a preacher's meeting that Tuesday morning. And as I got the phone call there, or I made the phone call back to my brother-in-law, Brad, in the parking lot, he told me that, Brianne, I went home to be with the Lord. I was still at the church, so I went inside and told the preacher to please pray for the family. And as I went to that morning service that morning, and after it was over, the preacher come up to me and said, Brother Chris, he said, as much as I want you to be here tonight, he said, we've got things covered tonight. He said, why don't you get on the road and be with your family? And that's what I did. I left Brighton, Illinois, and I drove to Chattanooga, Tennessee to be with my sister and brother-in-law and niece, Hannah. So we got there. We shed a lot of tears when I first got there. And they were they sat down. They showed me videos of pictures of Brianna from, from birth all the way up until, her, until, she, until she was 24 years old. And, boy, we cried and wept over all that. And then they, they, they honored me by asking me, Chris, Brianna would want nothing more than you to preach her homegoing service. And he said, this is not a, that Brad said to me, so this is not a sad occasion. He said, this is a celebration of a life. And my brother-in-law, I know that I'm online and I hope he does, I, I don't think my brother-in-law is uh, so hard up for preaching that he's going to look for his brother-in-law on, online preaching. But my brother-in-law is absolutely, absolutely the worst song leader you've ever heard in your life. Absolutely. He sounds like Kermit, Frog, Kermit the Frog leading singing. He does. He's, he's horrible. He's, he's, he's bad. But he became my favorite song leader that Sunday morning. He buried his daughter on Saturday, but he was in his place leading singing on Sunday. As I sat there with my family and they asked me to preach Brianna's funeral service, I said, do you have her Bible? And they went and got her Bible, and boy, it was just a torn and tattered Bible. I heard a statement a long time ago, you show me a torn and tattered Bible, and I'll show you a life that's not. Her Bible was torn and tattered, and it was marked all up, and you could tell that she was a reader of the Word of God. And I said to my sister, Stephanie, I said, Stephanie, what was Brianna's 
favorite verse or what was her life verse. And she turned her Bible to Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 20. Let me read it for you. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 verse number 20, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. That's a powerful verse just by itself. But it's definitely a powerful verse for a 24-year-old young lady that absolutely did not know if she was going to take her next breath day to day. And my friend, you and I don't know if we're going to take our next breath day to day. I'm not going to say I'm going to live for God tomorrow. I'm going to live for God today, and I'm going to serve God today because today is the only day I have because the clock is ticking. If you're here this morning and you don't know, you may know Christ in your mind, but you don't know Christ in your heart my friend, don't put it off till tomorrow. Get it settled today that today will be the day of your salvation. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed all across the building. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed all across the building. Most of you I know, some of you I don't. But I'll give you my word like I have before. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I'm not going to call anyone out. I'm not going to point my finger at you and say how shameful. Because I promise you, my friend, the one that attempted to preach this message this morning, I haven't reached some elevated plane where I never need God to work anymore in my life. He's still working on me just like he's working on all of us. But I wonder who would say, Brother Dallas, I'm saved. I know Christ is my Savior. I know heaven is my home. I may not be all that I should be, may not be all that I could be, may not be all that I ought to be, but one thing I know, I know I'm a blood-bought child of God, and I know heaven to be my home. If that's your testimony, I wonder if you just slip up your hand good and high across the building. I see those hands this morning. I see those hands this morning. God sees those hands this morning. I wonder who said, Brother Dallas, I'm saved. I know heaven is my home. Brother Dallas, to be completely honest with myself and honest with God that knows everything anyhow, I've wasted time not living it for God. Brother Dallas, I know because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I can do more for the cause of Christ than I have done. And Brother Dallas, with the help of God, would you please pray along with me that I wouldn't waste any more time not living it for God, but I'd make my mind up right here, right now, today, and be committed to live a life that brings honor and glory to God to serve Him today because I don't know if I'll have tomorrow. If that's your testimony, I wonder if you just slip up your hand good and high across the building. I see those hands. God sees those hands this morning. God sees those hands. I wonder this morning in this building who would say, Brother Dallas, to be completely honest with myself and to be honest with God that knows everything anyhow. I know about the Lord in my mind. There are certain things I know. I know about the virgin birth. I know about the shed blood. I, I, I know how he was the sinless son of God. But Brother Dallas, all I really know about the Lord is in my mind. I've never come to the place in my life where I went to God and realized that I was a sinner destined to that place called hell. And at that moment, 
I put everything else to the side to get me to heaven, the baptismal water, the church membership, the good outweighing the bad. And I realized that if I was going to escape the fires of hell, it was only by putting my faith and trust in the shed blown across the Calvary. Brother Dallas, I've never done that. And to be completely honest with myself and honest with God that knows everything anyhow, if I were to die today, I do not know that heaven would be my home. Would you please pray with me that I would get that settled in my life before it's too late? If that's your testimony this morning, just slip up your hand good and highlight it right back down, Brother Dallas. I do not know if I were to take my last breath in the next five minutes that heaven would be my home. I would like to know that, but I do not know that. If that's your testimony, I wonder if you just slip up your hand good and high. Let's stand all across the building as Miss Turner begins to play. Now, many of us raised our hand to be more committed to the Lord. There's no better time in the present to do business with the Lord. There's no better time in the present to do business with the Lord. And if you raised your hand or if God spoke to your heart this morning, somewhere between your pew and this altar, why don't we do business with the Lord this morning? Don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't put it off till on the way home. Don't put it off until, uh, until next week and next church service. Just go ahead and make that commitment to God today. I'm going to live for God today because the clock is ticking. Do it while the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart. Do it while it's sensitive to you right here, right now. The Bible talks about my spirit shall not always strive with man. He's knocking on your door today. Get it settled today. Answer the door today. There may be some here this morning that said, well, Brother Chris, I had my chance when I was in my 20s and my 30s. I'm in my 50s and 60s and even 70s now. I think about a man at our home church in Lexington, 65 years old. His name's Jesse McComb. Jesse was saved as a teenage boy, but lived a life not for God, but for himself and for the devil for many, many years. Came back to church a couple years ago and got right with God. He went to the preacher about a year ago and said, I've wasted so many years not living it for God. I'm, I, I need to do something for God. That platform that we stand on every week at Circle C Baptist Ranch and preach the Word of God, Jesse McCone built that platform. And now Jesse McCone is getting the gospel message out more than he ever thought he would. My friend, as long as there is oxygen flowing through our veins and our heart is still beating, God still has a work for all of us to do. Thank you, Brother.
thank you, Brother Dallas. Brother Dallas will be preaching for us again tonight at 6. I hope you'll be back tonight. Brother Eric Tucker, you pray for us, please, sir.